guys. Uh, welcome to the emergency Codex West. <laughs> Holy shit, what the fuck is happening to our country edition? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, emergency Kavanaugh podcast. I'm Cav- Johnny Cav- Paglino, Cavicast. and uh, this is Mark Quivilla. Yes, I am. I am, in fact. Yep. Uh, this is the crew right now. Um, we just, we got, dude, I'm pissed right now, and I just needed to put down some words. I had to know? get it out. Yeah, I mean, there's like this impulse in these moments to want to create like this um, think PC kind of analysis of the zeitgeist that allows something where, you know, (laughs) something like this in general to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have like I even with Trump, I didn't see the amount of protest happen. I mean, like, I guess like the Women's March and things like that. But um in terms of just like the rage it's not like about solidarity and you know um uh organizing collectivizing uh to create like a political point and like a positive way it's like people just mad and angry and yelling at people and protesting and getting arrested um yeah in washington i mean it's really it's actually pretty amazing to see people this fired up about like the supreme court right this Mm -hmm. is just kind of a like it's almost like a testament to um like the broadening of education of young people in general right like you know they always say that like you know current young people are the brainiest generation uh ever we're like and they're also the worst yeah but we're the worst you know we don't want to work hard or anything but we read a lot of books but either way (laughs) the idea is that like when you see people this fired up about a Supreme Court justice, that's like a massive cultural change, right? People might get fired up about who's the president, right? Or might get fired right. up about maybe their senator or their governor or something like that, right? But there's, you know, the Supreme Court is like a little bit obscure. Like you need to be reading the news a little bit to even be able to understand what you're arguing about. Right. I mean, this might be different now because it's so politicized and it may not have been like that. I don't know. In this. Well, I'll I'll put it this way. So like like, there was a circus at the beginning of the nomination when it came to. um, All right. So like there's like two distinct points in this confirmation um, process. process. Um, There was the pre sexual allegation and then the post sexual allegation. And there was I mean, like, I think. I, I always try to come in these things with a fair mind, um, but it was pretty obvious that there was this was being rushed for political reasons because, um, as we'll get to in a little bit, right? <laughs> but know, even I mean, even yeah, so, um, there like at the very beginning, um, there was this controversy over, and it still is over, like the amount of documents that ought to be reviewed not being released because they needed yeah. to go through. Um, the national archival process. Like I forget the name of the um, department, but there's a department that like clears all of the, you know, documents that are needed because that what they need to do is it's not just that they like, they, they review the documents and try and remove what's either top secret, confidential, privileged, et cetera, et cetera. Like there are certain things that they're not going to release. Right. Right. And I mean like have, that when you the, have a hundred thousand emails from the executive branch, Right. It's going to take you time to review the emails and find out 
what is not a national security risk to be made public versus what can be what senators can be allowed to see but can't be released to the public right. and There's, what right. senators aren't allowed to see in the first place you know and so the, the problem here was that uh with his being uh like the counsel for the white house during the bush years that there were going to be a lot of really unsavory legal strategies to justify torture or um you know to uh, there was like huge tax cuts during the Bush years and like that had to be like, you know, there's just so much stuff that was going yeah, on, absolutely. especially with yeah. like um, even the ones that were released were like there was some problems with race. There's just all kinds of issues, but we only got what, you know, the it's like the talking point is there's only like 7% yeah. of the documents were released that yeah, exactly. ought to have been. And the way that they were released was not through that um, archival department. It was through... Um, I think Don McGain. I don't know, but it was no, 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 no. It wasn't, but uh, it was through uh, an ally of Kavanaugh. It was like some private, like law firm or oh, something. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, I do know about that. Like, I'm sorry if this is doc- like not super factual in terms of like getting no, it completely no, 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 but, right, but, but the overall narrative right is, is that the there same. is like yeah, there's some other actor that was involved in the release of whatever documents are available because the Republicans tried to fast forward this so much that the archives didn't have time to release any documents. They said they that's could have I'm it released like after October and that's not that long. And it's actually not even like historically in terms of like nominate, like in, in terms it's of like how many days. Yeah, it's not a long time. But the idea was that uh, October, beginning of October, I think October 1st is when the Supreme Court goes into session. And so they wanted him before uh, the session started. Caveat, yeah, exactly. it doesn't matter. Like, uh, he can get, he can um, be, like, when, when he's confirmed, he'll be on the Supreme Court. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter that the session started. It's not like he has to sit out of that session. He can jump in right away and start hearing arguments, although he probably won't decide they, they on arguments he didn't hear. I don't, I, I wonder, I thought it was that, I thought it was that customarily they don't just jump in to a session. I could be um, wrong. Read, I, 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 I put on my Facebook that. a quote from uh, the Washington Examiner that looked at, I think it was, I mean, maybe it was, or Daily Intel, I don't know, whatever. It's some news that like it would make sense. Someone researched this where you can jump in at any time. I thought, that you couldn't. I thought at the beginning, like the reason why was that they real like if he wasn't confirmed before the session started, that he would have to sit out. But that isn't the case. They just wanted it because they wanted him before October. They just wanted yeah. him at the beginning of the session. But it's well, not. And I think it was also. I think it was. Uh, there's also something to be said for the underlying, um, like political issues like what they're trying to do is they're trying to confirm somebody early enough that it like that they can ride an enthusiasm wave or something like that that's right? true too right like they are they like there's one of trump's of things is like my biggest my biggest accomplishment was getting gorsuch on the bench like they like tout that all the time and so you're right that would be a way to really energize uh the base this is all still pre-sexual allegation during this time exactly. in secret um Dr. Ford, this is probably like well known at this point, but she went to her representative and her senator and uh, asked for confidentiality. So there's this talking point that's going around that the Democrats leaked um, the letter. But the the Intercept is the one who broke the story at the beginning and they said it wasn't Feinstein's team that leaked it. Uh, It could be her congressman. 
but most likely it was one of her friends that she told you know oh, and then no they way. went to uh the press or someone was like asking around they had there were you know there's rumors i remember sure. like right when it started it was like there were rumors right like but during this fight to be said for i mean like we're gonna you know this is a point that i think every democrat is thinking but like why does it uh, that doesn't matter very much yeah this is right? like, like this is you know there's I mean? two things going on when it like once the allegations break and then the republicans are like um you know this is um a tactic so that you know it's going to stall the confirmation until after the elections so that they can yeah. you know have control which is like one like the uh, it's going to be They're tough for the democrats the to take the senate yeah. too we're talking january that's what three four months yeah, they'd be stalling for a long time. Yeah, at that point, it would have been four or three months. Or anyway, it would have been forever. Like, um, yeah. so it does like, and that's like a level in terms of that's what the Republicans are really trying to drive home is that this isn't about truth. It's about, you know, stalling. Political tactics, yeah. But the politics, for any, I think, reasonable, sensible uh, person, the politics are not important. What's important is that we know what happened. Like, at, who yeah. cares when it breaks? Because one, it can be totally a real investigation could be totally um, <laughs> put together uh, before January. Totally. Um, but like, well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, like, I think you were going. You, on you it. had this. You had this great one-liner, which was like, you know, Republicans are saying women should be heard. Then why does it matter when they're heard? Exactly. Right? right. Like that was like a good one liner. Right. And that kind of like sums up a particular facet of this argument, which is obviously like the, you know, I, I don't even want to call it gender politics, because what we're talking about is that the guy is being accused of rape. This isn't this an is, issue yeah. of, right, no, you know, he's well being accused of attempted rape on one woman and another woman says that he might have been silent about witnessing or uh, at least being knowledgeable of her gang rape, right? Yeah, but, and the so, penis out. There's three allegations, which yeah, is there, like... there's three allegations, right? Right. But the thing is that um, what's nuts is that to call that like a gender politics issue is to not recognize the fact that that's like... It's like a criminal qualification. Like, I, I don't understand why this has to be a gender issue. Right? It's not. It's Shouldn't, made into this, this is like, like the Republican strategy. Issue? Like people, people who rape other people are probably bad people. Like I, I don't understand. I, you know what I mean. And right. so this is so. There's a whole side of this where it's being like um, turned into this major uh, gender issue. When the truth of the matter is, this is just like a fucking decency issue. And this is the fact that the Republicans like kind of thrive on creating those. Dividing line. That's right? how, it, like, it, it's always like the left, and like, and, you know, and there's some fairness to this that, like, the left is obsessed with identity politics, but like, of it's course. almost a reactionary obsession. It is a reactionary because when you're being thing. attacked like this, it's like it's. I don't understand how someone could look at the situation and think that there isn't a misogynistic element, and that's that's not even an attack on Kavanaugh exactly. Although it could be, we could talk about his testimony. Yeah, we could talk. But yeah, I mean, the testimony was really, earthy. the misogynism is like in the, um, in, in the, tr in the fact finding this, right? Like there mm -hmm. is clearly not a directive to get to the truth of the matter. 
Um, not at all. I mean, not, <laughs> not even remotely. Right. It was like they, they just like kept trying to steamroll through the process. And I mean, they've successfully done it. You know, Kavanaugh is probably going to become the ninth justice of the Supreme Court. It's tomorrow. almost certain. Yeah. And it's almost certain. And it's insane that that's the case. I right. mean, but and, and, you know, we're talking about like pre-sexual allegation. There are all these issues. Right. All these reasons that somebody could justify being frustrated with his nomination right mm-hmm. then post-sexual allegations right we have even more reason right it's like becoming like abundantly clear that there's something to there's some major issue going on here mm-hmm. right something that needs to be addressed but what's incredible is that um by the time like tomorrow he's almost certainly going to be a member of the court and right. what was the most telling issue about his qualifications to be on the court was that testimony it right. wasn't like i mean how do i put this? let me go into that's something where real the quick. guy shows who he is right i so think ways, i think the know? entire like well actually it is almost misogynistic in a way the uh the clinton like conspiracy uh when he brought it up but i couldn't believe that, that was i want to the point i tried to I, the this is the better point i wanted to make is that the investigation seems misogynistic, but mostly it's a question of framing that to me seems like patently misogynistic where what we could have done is what could have happened is that, you know, Ford gives her testimony and then Kavanaugh comes up and he goes, listen, yes, I drink like everybody else. Um, It's completely possible that I acted inappropriately, but I acted within um, a more of like, or sorry, like I acted within this, you know, the parameters of what was considered, you know, sexually okay, like sexual, um, you know, culture, what we think is right or wrong, yeah, changes like over change time. Over and this time. was something that like Vox did, like they did some like good analysis of like movies, like, you know, uh, 16 Candles, where there's like rape scenes. And, yeah, for sure. But they're treated like funny. I mean, like what you could have done is be like, look, I was young. I wasn't, you know... um, the kind of like ethical thinker that I am now, I was just acting with the thing that scene that she's describing. If it did happen, I misread signals and I was just joking around. Maybe I'm very sorry. Of course that's, you know, not great yeah, behavior. There, there's like a way of like taking that on. Right? And what that would be, that wouldn't be misogynistic. That would be a way of like, you know what? Like we, um, my character that's being shown right now is that I can take responsibility for my actions in an impartial way and still, um, contend for like the highest, you know, like a position in the highest court. For sure. Um, well, like this is, well, you actually hit something nail on the head, which is that like a major component and something you, this is something you learn in law school. It's like really, really important is that um, for attorneys who are themselves officers of the court, because you're licensed by the court to practice law. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, attorneys themselves and judges and justices, are held to a particular standard of candor, right? Mm. So, like, when you apply to the bar, you have to tell them a lot of information. Really, really what? personal Which, Can you do, yeah. like, just, like, a quick interesting, like, what's, like, something personal that you had to say? Oh, I mean, like, something stupid, but something that I definitely had to, like, talk about was that I got, um, when I was in New York, I got a public drinking ticket. And it wasn't even, like, drinking outside. I was at a party, and I went... To, I went to the front door to go outside and talk to the guy who owned the apartment. 
about like the music being too loud or whether I could uh, whether I could turn up the music. Right. (laughs) And when I opened the door, a police officer Ah, grabs me, (laughs) pulled me outside, looks at me and goes, why are you drinking outside? (laughs) And it was like, what? Wait, what just happened? So I had to to tell them that I got this (laughs) that I got this particular ticket because it was the guy wrote it up as a summons. I, I don't know why. I, well, actually, this is actually. You know, it's funny. Some people story. would think that's entrapment, but they don't know what entrapment well, is. It, well, I, the entrapment is something completely different. This was just there's no reason to be like I didn't get arrested. You know what I mean? I just had a summons. It's a different thing. It, I just had. Right. To, like, anyway, so you had to tell them that. Um, but I had to tell them that. And the thing is that, you know, you have to tell them every single place you have lived for like the last five years. And that includes like crashing on someone's couch for a month. Right. Like oh, really? They go through huh. records and will like find that you ordered an am you ordered five Amazon packages to this house, mm-hmm. right? Were you there for a month? Why didn't you disclose that? Right? What's the issue that? <laughs> no, so but the fucked. idea is. Be so but no, 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 but what they're what they're doing is that they're testing your candor. They're trying to test how honest you will be when asked really, really detailed questions about your life and your past. Right. Right. And- and, and, and I think it's and obvious. Answers are pretty fucking obvious. Right. right? They, are they? And so, yeah. Yeah. And there's something to be said for like, if you, um, let's say that you have been arrested for any reason, right? Like you don't even need to go into it, but like DUI or something like that. If you tell the bar about your DUI and it was like a one-time thing, they probably won't even ask you any more questions about it. They'll go, yeah, okay, that's okay. Happened once while you're in college and it's over, right? If you don't tell them, that's the issue, right? The issue is not being arrested. It's not telling them about being arrested because that reflects on your candor. So when Kavanaugh was sitting there and, you know, have you ever blacked out from drinking or something like that, right? And he's like, no, I haven't. Like... That's like almost unbelievable. Right? Well, yeah, it's completely unbelievable. And what it does now is that instead of framing it in a way where we can like come to terms with, you know, historical misogyny and we can take responsibility for it, we can see it as a systematic issue and we can make um, like sincere good faith declarations of, of change, good, right? Good phrasing. Right. <laughs> that was good. No, seriously, good phrasing. But what good happened, the misogyny that's at play here, and I really don't like to talk about like gender, you know, when, but like it, this is just so obvious to me. It's like instead yeah, he categorically true. denies that this sort of thing would ever happen, which naturally leads to the Republican strategy of, okay, we need to, like they have to make this consideration of, okay, he's categorically denying these things. So we have like a he said, she said situation and we're like in a political climate where if we attack this girl or we don't dignify her in some way that we're going to be hit really hard with, um, you know, claims of being misogynistic. So what they do is that they completely dignify her. Like this talking point blows my mind, which is like, um, you know, the, the logic goes, I totally, you know, I think she's a victim of some sexual assault. She's clearly hurt. She's credible, but it doesn't seem like it was Brett and it's not corroborated. Um, yeah, you cannot believe her and think it's not him. There is just zero. Like she said, I mean, like what was her phrasing? It was, um, 
someone said, how sure are you that that was Brett Kavanaugh? And she said, as sure as I am that I'm talking to you. Right. And 100%. Right? And what's 100%, important about that is like, I mean? if you've ever been in a traumatic situation, um, and, you know, you can think personally or look at the data on this. The one thing she's not going to misremember is th- who did it. Yeah, like the I mean, one is, thing, everything about? else, even the action itself is more, um, you know, subject to misinterpretation or mismemory or whatever. The one thing, if you believe her at all, it only makes sense. the one thing would be that you believe that he did that something. She knows who did, yeah, and that she knows who did something to her. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, it, it, like it's like believing was, all this other random stuff, but. Oh, the the thing that matters most is what you know. She misremembers what you do. And yeah, exactly. And I don't, it, you know, what's what's frustrating about it is that, like, obviously, you know, how do I put this? There's like Suzanne Collins today said, I don't think we'll ever know who did the thing to her, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sorry, but you have. You have a situation. It, well, actually, she said specifically, it does not meet the more likely than not standard, which means she doesn't believe her, right? It, it, I mean, <laughs> right. It, it says, do you see what I'm saying? That's what she's saying. Right. More likely than not is the standard for believing somebody. Like, you do you know yeah. what I mean? There's, I, like, I, I'm not sure, you know, to believe someone is not to, like, 100% but how do I put this? The standard of certainty for the word belief is lower than I think a lot of Republicans are trying right. to make and it. Right. And let me go on right? something and you give me the— <laughs> Or they're like, making it far lower. Maybe they're saying, I believe 35% of her story, and that's me believing her so I can get away with this. Or right. they're saying, like, uh, you know, or the standard is actually you believe somebody's story because you believe it. And then saying more likely than not. I just didn't understand her point. She was saying essentially very, (laughs) she doesn't. She's just talking around. Right. You can't have a clear view of this investigation or of like what happened. Basically, they interviewed like nine people. They tried to get 10. They interviewed nine. And it's like all of the dudes who would be at that party who are all so wasted anyway. Well, but then on top of that, it's not even, how do I put it? Like, I read an article now, I, I, I hate to go like, you know, I don't know if this is true. I read an article from one, I read the internet People are saying. Or something like that. People are saying there's a lot of talk, right? But, a lot of people um, are saying. But there are like, you know, text messages where like Brett Kavanaugh is talking to his friends about what happened on those nights. That's right? a real Which thing. Which is totally okay. That's, that's a real, real. thing. Like, Before you, the Ramirez yeah. story broke in the New Yorker, he was texting um, people. His friends to, right. Yeah. Which... I don't think they were interviewed. I don't think those text messages were collected. And even if they Dude, were, there's like every, every the, Ramirez has FBI like. The investigation was a sham. Like whatever we're talking about that happened in the last three days. Right. Like, you know. And they so could have they done said, something in three, four days. But what they didn't do was interview any of the witnesses that the. Um, what's it called? The, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the accusers. They had, you know, their lawyers had prepared like. Um, packages of like the people you can talk to that we would believe would be able to corroborate the story or yeah, at least get you closer to the truth. Yeah, and sure. none of those people were um, interviewed. And like, I understand, I think 
So when Flake says that he wants an investigation to know more, there is a chance that he wasn't the the result was what not it, it doesn't have to be super politically motivated. You don't even have to get conspiratorial. It just might be that what he wanted when he asked for an FBI investigation is exactly what he got, which was the other people who would have been at Ford's party. What do they have to say? Yeah. And that could have been, sure. you know, if, like your thinking is like you want to be fair, but you are already asking it to be like a limited investigation. You already have, you know, political interests in mind because you don't want it to go on forever. Like the Mueller investigation, because that becomes a political problem. Like that's already like introducing yeah. politics immediately into the speech. This might be exactly the kind of thing that he wanted to see and actually feel good about. And Susan Collins can be in the same boat, but it, it's, it's so in, when it comes to like set and like, you probably have uh, like some legal, you know, shit to say about this, but when mm-hmm. it comes to the idea of like sexual allegations, um, yeah. it, it really is in a lot of ways, like a character test, like it, de- like what actually happened is important, but the fact that people are credible, they have, you know, their own self-corroborating evidence, like, you know, medical records, a second front door, you know, like a story that pans out. Ramirez has, you know, like some, everyone's saying that like, oh, the Ramirez story is wrong because, you know, like no one can corroborate it. But Ronan Fair was like, that's not true. You're just not asking the right people. So that story is a lot more credible than has been portrayed. Right. Yeah. And they've been also attaching to that. And like what you'll have is you'll have senators making really broad statements where mm-hmm. they hide very big, broad statements in sentences about that allegation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, right? so they'll make, was... sta- they'll make statements about allegations when they're really talking about only the weakest one. And it's a way of them getting away. Oh, uh, right. And circumvent. Do you see what I'm saying? Just yeah, like totally. There, you know, yeah. this is this is the problem is that what. The, you know, if you're like on the fence Republican, what you want is a confession. You want someone to be like, you know what? We actually did these things. Yeah. What the Democrats want. I mean, that would be great <laughs> politically for the Democrats. Yeah, for sure. But it's not necessary. What you need is a like preponderance of witnesses um, making statements that are like, um, I heard about that happening. That totally could have happened. It seems like that happened. You've got someone saying it did happen. Like I believe then I think that it did happen. Yeah, exactly. Right. What you're looking for is a character assessment because like it's pretty obvious no one's gonna confess. And it's I mean, unless in miraculous. See, but you're like actually putting this you're you're like putting this perfectly though, because this is the way that like evidence works at all times. Preponderance is like a serious like legal. Well preponderance well, preponderance comes (laughs) in normally we're talking about like civil contexts, right? Um, there are certain ev- evidentiary standards in criminal court that come down to a preponderance or maybe like, you know, an intermediate standard. But the thing is that, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is when they're trying to put you in jail. Right. Or cr- taking criminal action against you. Right. Right. But if like you hit me with your car, the standard is preponderance of the evidence, which means 51 percent. Right. Right. Now, the idea is that like. When we talk about uh, trying to prove that something happened, mm-hmm. right? There is like so you know, there isn't all that much direct evidence that's possible to collect about so many things that happen in the world, right? <laughs> like there so, are so, do you see right, what I'm that's saying? the world we live in. 
is that yeah it's 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 just there are so many things that happen that are really hard to prove with direct evidence. mark's about to get into postmodernist right. legal theory <laughs> well i mean but this is like very true the, it, but the, you know if you're in a court and you're trying to prove something right very often very often we're talking about it being proved through circumstantial evidence right right and circumstantial evidence is not, you know, when you hear people say, that's circumstantial, right? Right. Yeah, okay, maybe that one piece of evidence in isolation, you would say, is disparagingly circumstantial, right? Mm -hmm. When you start stacking circumstances, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, you're cutting down the number of possible things that could have happened, right? So as you keep stacking circumstantial pieces of evidence, you're getting closer and closer and closer to the same standard that would be achieved, the same standard of certainty that would be achieved by direct evidence. So that's when people are saying like, oh, it's he said, she said, and then like you can talk to other people that might confirm one part of it, but not another. Dude, that's how you prove anything in the law, right? right. That people are saying like this is, you know, we're, oh, you know, you're trying to apply a different standard to him, right? Innocent until proven guilty, right? It's That's not what's going on. You have a guy in a job interview, and we're trying to say whether it's more likely than not that he, you know, covered a woman's mouth while trying to sexually assault her. And I'll tell you, I think he did, right? <laughs> I think he, he did, and I also think, like, to be as fair as possible, that the, the way I originally framed it, the way I think they should have framed it, um, is also like actually could be close to the truth. It just seems like this guy like got drunk and didn't realize boundaries very well. I, I don't like, I don't. Well, I'm not saying, I, I'm also not saying what Lindsey Graham keeps saying is he goes like, is he Bill Cosby or is he not Bill Cosby? Because you're not Bill <laughs> right. Cosby and then you become not Bill Cosby. Right? Like, it's like, what? <laughs> what? You can get I into new behaviors. To, yeah. It's just so bizarre, right? But, but the idea is that, like, you know, uh, not everyone who's done something inappropriate or even borderline, like, uh, not, to, you know, going beyond inappropriate until, like, into, like, the truly immoral, right? Right. There are so many things that people do that fit into those categories that happen once, twice, three times, and they don't actually happen again. But regular people do bad things, right? The standard is not whether Brett Kavanaugh is a Boy Scout or a rapist. That's the problem. Yeah, it's one or right? the other in this it, situation. I don't, and, I, and, and it's not and that it's not. dichotomy. It just does. That doesn't exist. And that's people what make shitty decisions. Often I've made shitty decisions, not the same decision. I'm not saying my decisions are like his decisions, but I'm saying I've made bad decisions. Everyone has made bad decisions. Right? Here is where it matters. And there too. are. And, and like, the idea here is that this guy made a really bad decision. That's important enough to have an impact on what he does today. Right. OK, this is why right? I think it. I think what's get, you know, what a lot of the right. Um, is focusing on is like oh it, you know what even if he did it it does it's not that bad or something or it's like I see a lot of memes where it's like Kavanaugh drank a lot but Obama did cocaine and smoked weed I mean like you know there's a double well, standard and, and, the uh, thing is well, he owned up to yeah. it and why that matters when you're talking about exactly. the Supreme Court is that yes it's about a pander it's about candor. It, candor but let's break it down it's like about like when you have a reasoning for I mean. He's going to, like, let's say there's a decision, right? I mean, these guys write, like, opinions, and they have to 
you know, if for the, there to be public confidence in the court, the opinions that they write have to be seemingly in good faith, right? They have to seem yeah. like they're legitimate um, considerations. They're legitimate um, interpretations, Well, that they, like, right? in good faith, they apply. Yes, exactly. So there's good an action and then, yeah. um, you know, basically, like, a testimony to that action when we're talking about Supreme Court opinions. And here's yeah. a guy who... In his testimony, was not able to take like he was not able to um, give a testimony that was credible to the actions that he did when there was a way to do it that would have been um, reasonable and would have been you know um, in good faith. The fact that he decided not to do that makes you seem that. It just it, it it demonstrates that he cannot take responsibility um, for his views on the world or the things that he's done or the things that he's going to do. So like when he gets on the court, the you know the the rape allegations are going to haunt him forever, forever, forever. But also it's gonna you know for like more political minded people who are you know also interested in the law beyond. Um, you know, uh, sexual harassment, it's going to be impossible for him to ever get away from the fact that he is a, uh, a Republican operative because now yeah, we don't it's, know. It's, it's just like his way of putting it, right? He could not take responsibility yeah. for something that happened 30 years ago. Is he going to be able to do it for something that happened 30 seconds ago? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, good <laughs> I have no well put, faith yeah. in the fact that the decisions that he's going to make, which are going to be essential because he's taking, he's not going to be I mean, a swing a, justice, a young, but he's, he's taking that He's a young seat. man, dude. Right. He's and he's a young. young guy. Oh my, what is it? Like he's three young. or four? Uh, it's got to be what? Four or three that are under 60? Um, yeah. Wait. Yes. Four now. I know Gorsuch has to be over 60. I need to look at it. Yeah, but we can he, find that out. But yeah. there's like there, it, it's going to be a young, young man. He's going to be conservative for a lean. long time. Right. And and dude, medicine's only getting better. <laughs> I mean, quite seriously. Like you know, when justices died when they were sixty, Ginsburg said she's going to go till she's ninety. Yeah, I mean, well, if Ruth she... Bader Ginsburg is the best. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no way around the fact that she is. Uh, one of my, my favorite quote of hers is someone said, um, "When will there be?" How many uh, how many women need to be on the Supreme Court for you to be satisfied? And she goes nine. <laughs> her point being that her point being that like there have been nine men on the court, right? What's mm. the what's the issue with there being nine women? Why the is way, that an offensive? The way thought, I thought right? about it was that when you just said that is that um, you can look at things in terms of you know Republican versus Democrat, like right, right versus left. Um, yeah. That's a way of thinking about this. And that's why in a way like, you know, I think the Constitution is broken if a party can control all three uh, branches of the government, which he saw was an issue because Trump limited the investigation so that it would give cover. I know. Um, I mean, all so of this. That's one way to think about it. Comes but down to like, yeah, for I sure think the are. other way to think about it, something that I was just kind of like reading um, and thinking about is that you can think about it in terms of patriarchy. Um, versus equality for all. Um, yeah. And the way, and why that matters is like what you're saying. If, if there was nine women on the court, that would balance out the um, 
the patriarchal problems that we have right now. And something yeah. I was reading too is that, you know, patriarchy, like when we talk about like social justice, the idea that illuminates me that I don't think gets talked about enough over, you know, the rage is that everyone suffers when there's a power imbalance, even the people who could be identified as having more power. Um, sure. So, you know, Susan Collins isn't misogynistic, but she, the patriarchal system is such that um, she has it's to like kind of give up her femininity her to... or whatever to well, um, get access, right? And so she well, has to I kind would of... say just in general that, like, it's necessary for her to, like, participate in the system that's there right like she couldn't do she couldn't be a member of the republican party without like giving up something to this uh like facet of the worldview right you know what i mean and it's important to say i i do want to i know it's like easy to like be like the gop is patriarchal i think it's a systematic issue that transcends of course it is of course it is i mean that shit happens yeah and that's a different type of partisanship too where um yeah and so that's a way in which women have to, you know, give themselves up to patriarchy. But I also think, you know, to make this point, I think it hurts men. And you can see this with Lindsey Graham. Um, if, mm-hmm. you know, I read the Bob Woodward book Fear and he, like Lindsey Graham is like the most like, you know, um, it's the closest senator to Trump. Yeah, he's the senator that's closest to Trump. Despite um, like all of the shit that he's tried to right. portray himself. And remember, as. like it, you know, he like despised Trump's politics and the circus around it. Um yeah. but and part of that is that, you know, I don't, you know, like I think in a perfect world, Lindsey Graham probably isn't like, you know, grabbing women, probably because he's gay. But <laughs> um well, well, I mean, yeah, almost <laughs> he's like a single gay guy who's hiding basically. But um Yeah, very clearly. But put that aside. <laughs> But that's yeah. smear aside. I mean, just whatever. But <laughs> um, uh, remember what the, I said about gave circumstantial up, like, so, like, evidence. Like a president <laughs> who is like perfectly misogynistic, who's perfectly, you know, yeah. it's so obvious that he is a unapologetic predator. Um, we have to remember how many allegations happen, and it just can't go anywhere when you become the president. That's how you get away yeah. from that shit. Um, yeah, for sure. You become president. The offices <laughs> of presidency shrouds you, unless you're Bill Clinton. If you bring people into the shroud, <laughs> that's going to be an issue. <laughs> but um, Lindsey Graham, I don't think, is like outside of politics, outside of the system, is like uh, like a the misogynist that Trump is, right? But yeah, not in the he has to way. give up his values to get access to the presidency, right? And yeah. You can see that in his fucking speech when, like, you know, they were hiding behind um, the the female prosecutor. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe. And then he that. just is <laughs> like, is "Fuck it, give me the time." And he goes on the speech that's like, that really sets the stage of like, this isn't about um, finding the truth. It's about um, the Democrats trying to get the seat in like really unsavory ways, which is like, yeah, which anyone is like- anyone can read through. Like that, like he was being so dramatic, the lines that he was like, say hello to Sotomayor because I voted for her. I would never do, you know, it's like, it was like right out of a movie. Like he clearly had like a script planned out in his head or like he has like a, I mean, he already like, you know, he's known to have a pension for drama. He was trying to do the West Wing. Yeah. He was trying to do the West Wing. Right. And um, like, I don't think 
like he was like you know um a lawyer in the military i think that like he pretty much like can recognize that this is ridiculous but well, what's, he has what's to actually give insane up is that like all of those dudes or so many of those dudes are lawyers right and it's so frustrating as a lawyer to watch lawyers watch them just really legally yeah, use their exactly. way out of the law but yeah that's yeah, i guess the point insane. i'm trying to make is that he takes a side where he's like not on ford's side I mean, he's not like blaming her because he's savvy, but he's essentially saying that she is wrong or that she doesn't, you know, like um, it's, it's not even about the corroboration of evidence. He takes it away from fact, facticity and he brings it into like um, politicking where he's like, yeah, um, this is he. It, the whole thing was about politics and spearing this guy through. Pol- it had nothing to do with, you know, fact finding. Um, and I mean, it, obviously he gives up the, you know, the pursuit of truth. That I'm, I'm sure that he actually has in some way deep down um, in order to get access because it was clearly like an audition for either attorney general or some sort of cabinet position or just to be closer to Trump. Oh, to be an ally. my God. Lindsey Graham attorney general is a. I think it would be better than Jeff Sessions. But um. well, but Jeff <laughs> Sessions at least resigned. Well, I'm sorry, uh, recused himself from the Russian investigation. Yeah, there's there's know. all yeah. sorts of things the. the we could just talk about politics forever, basically. But um, yeah, for sure. Uh, the point I wanted to make is that that's a way in which he has to give himself up, in some sense, like his soul it gets taken, in order to like play in the patriarchal game. And that's why I think it was no accident that uh, in the SNL cold open, you know, the Kavanaugh hearing skit, that Lindsey Graham yeah. was played by a woman. Yeah, for sure. Because it's like it's like a point where it's like this guy isn't like this, but he's. Beca- I mean, there's like this one article that's like, "What is Lindsey Graham doing? Why is he acting this way?" And it to me, it <laughs> yeah, just seems sure. very clear that the way this whole thing was framed was, uh, a you know, f- it it was influenced by like the patriarchal system that we have. I hate like using these words because it seems like. You know, no, I know. Exactly you know what I mean? What like, mean. I hate, but it's so yeah. useful in this well, context. Well, no, 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 but I just think you can talk about it like very generally that there are like, there are institutions that marginalize large portions of the population. And depending on where you are trying to succeed, there are any number of these institutions that many people, people find themselves having to. Uh, 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 what's the sublimate to? Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, Let's say it is. But yeah, right. They're trying to um, like like all of us in so many situations can find ourselves uh, having to do that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, issues of of race, issues of gender, issues of uh, sexual orientation, or you know, uh, gender identity, whatever you want to talk about, right? There are any number of institute you know social institutions that marginalize particular groups of people and members of the other groups that aren't in that marginalized group generally are confronted with situations in which you have to give up something to whatever that system may be right and i think that you see this i think that like sometimes you see this on the left when you see like how do you put this there's like a like a lexicon that the that the left is really obsessed with, right? There are like certain words that that Cory Booker has to use, <laughs> right? And uh, speak your truth, 
Yes. I don't yes. know what that. What is that? Believe mean? women. Just, what are you saying? Like what? Like all of that stuff is so empty, but it's like a particular set of words that's like completely required. Right, and that right? is like what there is language, and not all senators do this. And I listened to a lot of the speeches today um, for the cloture vote, but uh, there is a lot of like relying on things that aren't that will like repel people. And it's like, like I think when it's like, you need to believe women. Um, it's not that I disagree with that. If you just heard everything we just said, I, just, like, I have a very, I, just, yeah. I have a very strong sense, but, but it is um, in a way, just the way that the, the, the platitude in a sense, I guess, I don't know if it's actually a platitude, but the, you know, the way that that phrase feels is that it's more important to believe women than to get to the truth. That's what people hear. They feel attacked. And they feel well, that's also how it's being used against people who say it, obviously. Right. Like, and that's also the, you know, the reaction. But I do believe that um, the re- like I do believe people leg- on the right legitimately are antagonized by that phrasing. And it and it's not even like, un you know, reasonable to be because um, it's there when we talk like, OK, when I'm trying to talk about the patriarchy being problematic, it's because I think I have a very um, strong worldview that when power is equally disseminated, we all, you know, are better. That patriarchy okay. even yeah. corrupts men. Um, and so the idea is to get into a more, you know, equal setting so that we can all prosper. This is the same way markets work in my mind. That's like why sure. social nets are important because when people drop out, those are potential participants in a market that could expand it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. No, I mean, yeah, perfectly. Right. Yeah, it's not like, exactly. you know, we need to be socialistic about this, but it is about, um, you know, trying to keep as many people in the game as possible because it only gives For us sure. better world yeah. views that help us expand our minds that help us like um, practice empathy, which is, you know, these are things that are important to some people, <laughs> you know, those are what's more important than like Christianity. To me, it's like, you know, e- equality is not about um, like aggressive justice. It's about trying to improve society for everybody because as I'm saying, well, like, even patriarchal I, I mean, systems I, only yeah, benefit. Yeah. Um, it incentivizes behavior that is ugly and like and even just from an aesthetic point like we don't want to like incentivize scary um you know predatory behaviors because it's it's it it corrupts our day-to-day life and our soul and our connection to other people and our patriotism you know like all these things like it eventually like hurts and it hurts deeply and so a lot of people, when they hear, like, believe women on the right, they hear that as an attack, like, I'm trying to take power from you. And a lot of people don't feel powerful on the right or the left. So yeah. when you have fra- – I mean, this is just, like, a rhetorical problem on the left. That I understand the conservative argument, which is that – and it's not even conservative argument. It's, like, you know, like a right American culture um, yeah. is that they hear that, like, you think we have this power – that we don't feel. You say that we have white privilege. I don't really see how that. Oh yeah, of course, of right. course. That's and, that. I mean, that's very real, right? Right. That's exactly how people I, are. That's why people who live in rural wherever. Yeah, and right, I am definitely so saying by that, that that is a fair assessment because the way I look at I the agree, yeah. dude, I'm totally there with you, man. Right. I think that there's something to be said for the fact that like. Um, I totally, totally understand issues of race, obviously, and I think that there are issues of race that are specific to issues of race. But there is an entire layer of like the socioeconomic issue where obviously like somebody in, you know, uh, 
like a black person living in the United States in a poverty stricken neighborhood is equally as like oppressed by economics as like a like dirt poor rural person right. in South Dakota that makes literally ten thousand dollars a year. And here is even less. Here yes. You know what I mean? And like in this situation, someone might be like you know, this person on, you know, the the rural poor white guy is like, how is my white privilege benefiting me? It doesn't seem to be. And <laughs> yeah, that's sure. the thing. Yeah. It's like when you accuse people of exploiting their white privilege, you're missing the point entirely. What white privilege is, is that there is, it's a, um, it's pointing out that there is a racial, um, imba- like there's a power imbalance in terms of race. And when there's a power imbalance, it creates really bad systems. It's not even about that you have white privilege so your life is easier because like no one's going to want to listen to that. It's like the fact that there is such a thing as white privilege means that we have really bad systems that we could fix. And I'll say this. um, I believe that, you know, the drug, you know, the drug war is was, you know, designed in such a way where it was going to hit people um, who are black or brown harder than white people. But like I I got I got sucked up into that, you know, like I had. The, the dr- draconian drug laws like got me arrested and like well, then, i had to I mean, deal think with about that. it like right now what why are like what you know there's like a broader movement stirring obviously for like reconsideration of drug laws and like why is that it's because like white kids started getting arrested right right exactly and that's white the kids thing started yeah. getting addicted to to heroin right because they got it they because they started taking prescription meds right like that shit is that's the reason that you see like a growing movement of like suburban white moms being like decriminalized heroin. Like what? Right. That's an incredible that's that would that is a ridiculously radical statement to make in 1983 when right. essentially like all Americans thought only black people did drugs. Mm-hmm. Black and brown people, right? Right. And so the thing is that there is there's something to be said for people like a very clear example of like white privilege is the fact you have the privilege of having people care about your problems. <laughs> right. Right. Like, you know, or, or and, and then there are like other, but like the same way we're talking about white privilege, there are like other privileges. Right. So like, you know, think about um, the AIDS epidemic. Right. Right. Why did nothing happen? Uh, why did the government do nothing to combat HIV until 350,000 people had died? Right. It's, such a it's be, isn't that a fucked up mm-hmm. way of putting it when you put it that way? It's just like, wow, that's mind blowing. That's completely insane. Right. And it's because obviously it affected like gay people and people that had, you know, regular unprotected sex. So poor people. Right. And like all of these marginalized groups that didn't fit into the system where people actually give a shit about problems. Right. Right. And so then only when, you know, Kids from blood transfusions got it. Did anybody do anything about HIV? And I so like there are these, you know, so there's like a hetero privilege, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Very clearly, right? And so the thing is that it, that's why I think you're on to the right thing where this is like. Like you didn't these- reason. I reasoned my way into thinking that drug laws were bad because yeah. I think the system is bullshit. Like we don't. I and, rate my like racial like um awakening to this problem happened much farther than my reasoning into it um just naturally right 
once yeah. I know that it's a problem and I can see, then I can start thinking about it historically. And when I think about it historically, it's like, oh, clearly this was designed um, to hurt minority populations. For sure. But it, it's still a problematic system that affects me. I mean, we can think about yeah, the history, yes. the racial problem, but everything. But like, if we could solve that in balance, I also would benefit. And that's what I think is just completely lost in this hyperpartisan, super aggressive, polemical situ- like um, environment that we have where, um, you know, people are like, you know, we need to, the country's divided, we need to heal. But it's the Democrats that are, are like, yeah. it's, like <laughs> yeah. it's just like that are the no, ones that are preventing the healing. Yeah. This is something that I've had to, you know, think a lot in like my like vegan awakening, which I know I always bring up. But it's like such a powerful um, insight because it, it's like a um, like a structure that you can use to like think about other problems where you don't totally. blame meat eaters for eating meat. You blame a system that is has a very violent ideology that has a strong history and is very ingrained in society and like to blame people who are like grown up in there and you know culturized in that environment well, is something completely missing like, the point but i think you can like um how do i put it i think that there are innocent members of like that group right so I, i'm trying to think of that's what i'm saying you know there's a difference it's not about between guilt. someone there's some there's a difference between somebody who in good faith does not think they're racist but then will say something that is like um inappropriately uh, uh an inappropriate generalization like there yeah. are different someone like, stereotypes that's why i'm saying you're yeah exactly Somebody's and then you go you're racist and you saw you're nothing. a racist right it's like right. that no nothing happens all you're doing is pushing that person like farther away right there are racists right <laughs> well and yeah there are like, white supremacists I, that's I, a right? racist there are position. literal right white supremacists there are nazis there you know there are a lot of they have specific ideas about race that um only propagates power imbalances and and then i know that like um you know an argument that somebody would pose is that like yeah but then like where's the line or something like that right like but then that's that's a qualitative issue that you do the line that's what experiencing and that's what experiencing life is is finding out that kind of stuff right one like like grow up like you're gonna you know like grow up on both sides people are gonna make mistakes trying to be like do the right thing and like you should just try and do the right thing and listen to people but mostly what if the conversation instead of being like you're racist if we were able as a society to go that seems like not that statement seems to be influenced by a culture that is not optimal <laughs> you would not divide no, some it's, it, a great, it's a great it's a great way of putting it it's just people don't spend enough time argument. being like if we did this if we that got shit to doesn't work bro that's yeah. like a great argument against racism is that shit doesn't work man but that's what how i really feel because like i'm involved you know back home it's like how many you know like i work in like like a construction industry the amount of like racial jokes that go around are you know it's just like abound like they're just you know that and i have a hard time when like someone makes a racist joke to be like that person's racist right like i don't like i know these people i don't actually i mean sometimes they do but like most of them are like not actually um interested in uh racist ideology 
they just grow up in a culture where it's like we notice things about people and we like to be taboo because and it gives us a dopamine these, and rush. And they make these but, jokes. Yeah. And it, when you're from the South, it's like a different experience right. in many ways. Like, well, if you're like, I mean, the South or like a conservative area. I mean, I don't know what Midwest conservatives are like, but Southern conservatives, there are like people who are you would generally consider nice people who you don't immediately, you wouldn't immediately like think, Oh, that person's super racist. Even if you talk to them. And then like, you'll hear a joke that if somebody from uh, New York said it, you would be like, what, what that that's like, so out of right. character, right? This is like a societal thing. And mm-hmm. this isn't to like, um, I, I don't like, I guess my point like, bringing that apologi- up is I this isn't not. apologetics. This is right. It's like, that, yeah, um, here's the problem is that uh, like you can be somebody who like finds joy and racist jokes, right? And racial jokes. <laughs> Let's try and like make a differentiation because I do think I know a lot of people who don't, you can like find joy and like these like inappropriate behaviors because of their inappropriateness. And like we live in life, you know, like <laughs> if you want, like people like to, you know, have vices, um, that is very different. What happens is like, let's say you make like a racist joke or a racial joke. Um, and then someone says like, oh, you're a racist. Or there's an entire like part of society that is condemning you for enjoying something that you don't actually recognize as being um, de- like um, diminishing. Destructive. Or destructive. Or yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, you don't see it as like actually contributing to a power imbalance. You're just sort of like enjoying your powerless life. Um when people yeah. start calling you racist, well, then, like, you might actually get defensive, and then you might actually start retreating into, right, like a bit, uh, like a more comprehensive ideology surrounding that thing that's making you feel marginalized. You feel justified right? in your racial jokes, but someone calls you a racist, you still feel justified. You dig in deeper, and now you might carry that justification to actually racist ideas. And exactly. this happens yeah, all the time. <laughs> this yeah. is like this a is thing. Very that, real. Yes. And that's what I mean. It's like the conversation itself is so broken because we should like, there should just be room for all this. And it should be like fairly obvious that the best thing we could do is, you know, like affirmative action. Let's talk about that for a second. Right. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I, I always, yeah. It's difficult. Some people, I think, you know, there's like a divide on it on the left as well. Um, yeah, for sure. But the you know it's like we could denigrate the idea, but we could also like see why it's happening. It's like the way that like reparations isn't going to happen, but as an idea, as a concept, it gets us closer to a situation where everybody the, prospers. I just think that I just uh, yeah, and I also think that like the way that I've always described my opinion on affirmative action in a general sense is like it's like a regrettable thing we have to resort to. Yes. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's not what we should have to do. Yeah. So like but when it comes do to have college, to do it because, but we do have to do it because there are a lot of people that act in particular ways, like in the country and that deprives a particular group of access to this very specific system. We're not talking about like instill, we're not creating racial quotas at private businesses. Or something like that, right? Right. What we're clearly trying to do is remedy a major systematic issue in college in uh, college access, higher education. Yeah, access. and my my feeling right. about that is like you know it's like oh you know I'm Asian so it's harder for me to get into Harvard, and like 
what's not being like what's being put on um on notice is um the acceptance process right when what i think really should be put on notice is that these colleges that are so esteemed it's almost bullshit you can almost get the exact same quality of education like anywhere what's really being fought for is like this collegial prestige that is pretty unimportant when you're in like i can understand if they're like that this was a problem in graduate school but i don't really like we don't hear about that a lot what we hear about is undergraduate and like an undergraduate education can like the problem is access to great colleges it's not that the colleges there's no need in my mind for the colleges to be like on these pedestals and super like considered like oh if i get in i get all this prestige People, and it's going to be the best just, education, which is just make it easier for everyone to get education as opposed well, people, to. Totally. And and I think that there's something to be said for the fact that like so many people conflate the idea of like um, statutory based affirmative action. Right. Where, right. it, you know, like racial quotas. Right. Which in many instances and I think almost I think almost. uh I think that I think that like it is literally unconstitutional to create racial quotas for an incoming class in a public institution. Right. And there's a difference between like, you know, rigid quotas like that and schools being able to take race into account. Right. Right. And then there's even a difference between that and a very general ideology of trying to promote diversity. Right. Yeah. Like, can a school have a general ideology of trying to promote diversity? Like, this is the the, the thing is that um, people often when we talk about uh, the law, like to make it this black and white thing. There's either affirmative action or there's not affirmative action. <laughs> right. Just like not what it is. Right. There is a broad spectrum of policies that fall into the general umbrella of trying to. Uh, redistribute access to higher education. Right. Right. And, you know, that comes into play without just issues of race. That comes into play when we talk about, um, uh, like, can a school take into account that person A can pay for the education while person B needs to take out loans? Can they take that into account in acceptance? Right. These are like, these are the kinds of issues that fall into this big umbrella of distributing access to higher education, right? So when people say affirmative right. action or no affirmative action, that doesn't, that's not how it works, right? And so there's something to be said for, yeah, dude, like any of us having to make considerations based on race is unfortunate, right? But it's unfortunate because it's is, like something that we actually have to fix. But yes, this is okay. It's, it's unfortunate this is my... because it's something we have to fix, and what we're trying to avoid is having to make determinations based on. You know, what I think North Carolina is supposed is... to mean that nobody cares, right? Right. And then if nobody's, but everybody still cares, so we have to do things to get us closer to not caring. <laughs> right? like, well, it's not even about not caring; it's about making a like, um, yeah, you a know system I mean. that's yeah. healthier. We're like, yes, okay. Exactly. So this we is the problem. Right. The so I think system. North Carolina is a great example. Like their education, their like higher education system. Um, the government is Republican, and if you follow politics at all, it's like super corrupt Republicans in North super, Carolina. Super duper duper in the state corrupt. legislature. Yeah. 
Um, they're so dirty. The state legislature <laughs> is really bad. Like when uh, I forget, I forget his name, but when the you know it was a Democratic governor that was elected, there was like this whole thing to try and limit all the powers that he could have. They like defanged yeah. him before he actually got into office. Um, anyway, the idea is that like you have uh, Republicans in North Carolina who control the funding for uh, the education system, right? And you have in North Carolina. It's like a purple state, right? Because there is a huge liberal, like vociferous liberal population that is like, you know, there was like high publi- highly publicized fights about, um, you know, uh, transgender bathroom issues. And like, there, like yeah. if you go there, there's like a serious pocket of like Well, because there are also like, well, this happens in any, any state. Well, there's also like any state that has like um, growing cities. Right. You're going to you're going to like pockets are building in those city areas. So right. uh, North Carolina surprisingly has a ton <laughs> of cities with right. like a few over like three hundred thousand. This is just to say right. that, like, you know, at Chapel Hill, you and like there are, um, you know, the humanities, pro, you know, um, you know, graduate studies and humanities, uh, which is important because these ideas don't come out of nowhere. Right. Like they have to which be is important. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I just have to like make a plug like this is like <laughs> but shouts out to the humanities. You right. are important. <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't have like, I mean, like, so the humanities are basically, um, you know, <laughs> this doesn't need to be in defense of humanities. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I'm, I'm trying to outline the situation in those departments. Yeah. They are advocating. Um, there's like a lot of social justice advocacy coming out of, you know, the humanities departments at these colleges, especially in conversation with uh, the politics that are completely influenced by patriarchal, like, you know, like all the, all the articles, <laughs> all the, all the, all, all the, <laughs> all the ways at which you can like uh, um, analyze the political situation in terms of power imbalances. Um, yeah. They're the people who are suggesting, you know, advocating for social justice and in response the government as opposed to like implementing those ideas thinking about them thoroughly trying to understand that you know these are problems that if we were to solve it's not that we're taking power away from you know the white guys right it's like we're trying to fix broken systems so no one has to deal with it because that would be better um yeah (laughs) instead of like really thinking through that implementing that they're just slashing the funding for these departments so that they die because they don't see it as like a implementation like they don't see it as something they can implement they see it as an attack and like if you're getting attacked a defense is to not fund those people right so i have i mean yeah i have friends who are just like in poverty while like all the money's going to you know stem projects which i'll admit is important but also, just the amount of money that they're funneling into education is, like, ridiculous. It should be way more. I mean, we should be investing sure. in education all over the board. I don't know why do. that's – I don't know why that's controversial. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it was something, something bananas to me. I mean, okay, I get one uh, – uh, when I say that I get it, it's not that I, like, com- you know, commiserate with it or identify with it, but I understand that there is, in fact, one argument, which is I'm religious and I don't want to send my kid. I don't think we should fund pu- public schools because they don't let God in the classroom, so we should have 
a voucher We're going to have to do a whole le- like lesson. Right? We're going to have to do a podcast on radical Christianity <laughs> or fundamentalist yeah, yeah. Christianity, which I do think is Jesus like Christ. another way of thinking about power imbalances. As somebody yeah, oh, who yeah. doesn't I mean, believe in God uh, and doesn't a- get any satisfaction out of like, you know, Christian right ideas that are founded in a type of interpretation of Christianity. I am sure. left out of the, like everyone's always like, oh, you know, yeah, the left is radical feminists. Like, you know, how could we ever join when, you know, they're not being sane? It's like to me, that's the issue on the right. I could buy into like plenty of an intellectual secular arguments, but I can't. Some of these things are just like you have to have a kind of interpretation of Christianity to even start playing with. And the fact that that is such a powerful force is, I mean, yeah. it's offensive to me because I can't participate in it. I don't, it's not even that I disagree. <laughs> yeah, it's that it's not in the yeah. realm of discussion. It's not something that you can yep. make into policy that can be analyzed technocratically. Like you, it's something that I can't participate in. And when you force it on me, it doesn't make any sense. I, yeah. Life at conception think- does not make sense to me. I cannot, it cannot be argued. It seems like seemingly without a, an appeal to religious authority, which is fallacious. So yeah, uh, anyway, we could go into that a whole other time. But the point is, but, is that instead of, you know, like us, I get, okay, go back to your point where it's like, you know, you don't want to fund public school. Oh, well, the idea being that specifically, like it's very clear that something that the United States could do that would have a very, uh, a substantial short-term payoff when I say short term, I'm talking like 10 years, right? You know, like, which is very short term when we're talking about large scale, you know, policies, right? So if we're talking about funding education, like that's something we could do to make our world better immediately, right? The problem, and like this is, when I say this is the problem, I mean, this is, this is like a fundamental issue for conservatives is that like facts don't fit a lot of what they want to talk about and you know i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to be cute or something like that right i'm saying like very truthfully like when you study studying biology right clearly indicates that we evolved from lesser organisms right? <laughs> yes <laughs> like, i mean I know, but it makes so much sense. But I think what happened is why this gets... But what they do is that, like, they're aggressively against... The reason that I think Republicans are so... Like, you can find Republicans who are almost, like, aggressively against funding public education is because it's like, you know, if you, you know, yeah, you learn biology and it doesn't talk about creationism or something like that. Or even if you want to talk about secular things, it's like, yeah, they're going to learn history and they're going to hear that the South didn't, you know, rose up for slavery rather than states' rights, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is, like, you know, just to let everybody know, I don't know how many people, like, actually have looked into this, but, like, I read about, like, I've read a ton of Holocaust denial because I want to know. Well, because, well, because I need to fucking, I need to know what that is. There's this great Slate article that's about, like, uh, the Ask Historian subreddit. That's, like, why we don't... So there's this Ask Historian subreddit where it's like, you know, you ask a question, historical question, and, and it's very heavily oh, yeah. and moderated. Like, yeah. it's very curated. Um, and they, like, one of the moderators wrote an article on Slate, I think, that was like, why we don't take, why we immediately questions. delete any yeah. questions that have to do with Holocaust denial. 
it's really powerful. And, I should and I'll tell you, but it. I'll tell you like when, when I say that I looked into it, it's not because I thought that I would be convinced of anything. It's because I'm a curious person and I like to read about a lot of different things. And I was, this was a bizarre thing to read about. Right. And I can tell you, there's like a really good reason to ban that shit from any serious situation of conversation. It's like very because sly, slightly it, it disingenuous. It is wrought with these particularly, um, uh, how, how do I put this? Um, there are certain types of like rhetorical style that to someone without the underlying information seem really enticing and attractive, but the rhetorical strategy itself is so flawed that it actually doesn't hold any credence whatsoever. Right. So this well, is it's not like, about truth. It's yeah, about uh, why uh, did, a, why did, like, why did the uh, the doors open in rather uh, in rather than out on a gas chamber? <laughs> like, it's or just like, like what? No, that, like, that's the kind of shit that know, they say. Right. It's like, what are you talking? What? What are you talking about? Right. So obviously, like, the, you know, I've read that kind of stuff. Similarly, I, what I, where I began on this was like, if you haven't read some of the history surrounding the Confederate States of America then do yourself a favor and do it because then you'll be better informed and know for a goddamn fact that it was about slavery because it was in every goddamn speech that all of the oh yeah made. oh oh i see right? there saying. there is documented historical oh you're making a parallel between like slave like states rights apologia and Holocaust and, denialism. And, and, I get it. Yeah. And Holocaust denial. And I'm, I don't want to put it this way, but I'm also relating that whole type of like you being, you being, oh, it's, it was about states. You're, rights. you're condemning and a modality of thought, not like that, a, uh, you're not, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't say you're like making like um, normative equivalents here, but what you're doing is you're, you know, this is what like when people start talking yes. about like Nazis, fascism, like you can take that at face value and think it's ridiculous or you can think it through and realize that they're condemnations of a modality of thought of interpretation yes. of action that can and be so exercised at different levels and Exa gradients. For, exactly the perfect way of putting it right different levels and gradients right uh, like but the idea is that there is you know when it, when someone tells you we want to take tax dollars and put them into schools that teach things you don't believe to to your children right that's the reason they don't want to fund edu education, right? That's part that's of it. The, I also the, want to make this right? other that's point. That's like a major reason that they're so, uh, you know, like you'll find conservatives who just don't want to give any more money to schools or teachers. So right? I read this book called Listen Liberal, like uh, what happened uh, to the party of the people by Thomas Frank <sighs> that talks about um, basically he makes a like, and I, I, I did read this like a couple years ago, but the takeaway I had was that because when Obama gets elected, um, and you know this happens before he he does like a whole history, but one way to look at this is that when Obama comes in, he is a exemplar of the higher educational world, and a lot of his thinking, his inactions, I agree with, but it can be seen, and this is just a political reality. It can be seen as elite, and what that means is that. Um, there is a prioritization over um, instead of lower education over higher education. Sometimes that would yes. be because okay. of like yes. poly policy um, 
decisions that weren't explained in a way that made it's sense actually, outside wow, of that's the, actually a good way of putting right it. and so the problem with that to... is that there's such an education problem and it's not like that like obama or democrats are blind to this issue they see that there is an education problem but there is you know a tricky politics where if you don't spend more time focusing on making public schools better about making uh like primary education better well, then when you start really thinking in terms of like higher level thought that can only be accessed by higher, you know, education institutions, well, you've just locked out a lot of people who weren't given the opportunity to excel to the point where they could participate in that higher education. And so, yeah, exactly. it, totally. it like it, it creates an elite vibe basically because, you know, some people they can't access it. They don't understand it. They never had the opportunity to. And, you know, and maybe they actually had like, you know, if they like really did well in school or whatever, but there's also cultural problems that surround, um, you know, going to high school, going to middle school. Um, yeah. There's, you know, there's just such a cultural problem and there's such, you know, the basically like there is a argument that there could have been a better um, liberal thinking that still would have been pro-education. Well, also something to be said for the, or, or, like, I think you got something, uh, you're onto something here because also, you know, when you're a freshman in college and you're taking out loans, you can vote. Mm -hmm. Right. And then somebody you can't vote in you about middle school yeah, but, or high school. Yeah, exactly. Right. So like what you're trying to do is you're either trying to like, if you're trying to get votes, right, you're either going to try and get, a mother's vote because you're talking about her middle schooler, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to go like directly to a source and talk to a freshman in college about free college. Mm -hmm. Even though if like, I mean, if you're a freshman in college and somebody like Bernie Sanders comes to you and goes, college should be free, right? College isn't going to be free for so many years after you get out of college, even if Bernie Sanders got elected, <laughs> right? Even you if you became I mean? like dictator. Like, you're going to be... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Dictator Sanders. Yeah, Comrade Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's just like on the left, like, you know, in the Sanders world, like I supported him. But I do think like after the whole election process, I realized that um, a lot of, you know, it's it's bad rhetoric when you can't like respect these ginormous institutions that exist and like try and come up yeah. with a realistic way to you know, oh, not totally. make these institutions I, I mean, fall with like the strike of a pen. Um, and I think there's something to be said about like, you know, I was really enthused by Bernie because like, you know, mm -hmm. it, it just comes down to all of those same things that everybody noticed about it, which was like a certain level of uh, like honesty and like uh, genuine, you know, genuineness, right. Those kinds of, those kinds of soft factors, but it's very clear that like Bernie Sanders is probably not the best person to be president. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? Here's the point I'll like, make. I and mean, I think like, we're seriously. going kind of over long here, but, um, yeah, we are, but the last point I'll make is that when you have a system where like, um, you know, we want to get, you know, when we, we talk about education because it benefits society, like that is like, you know, widely accepted, like yeah. theory of like, uh, like social development. Um, the problem is, is like, you don't give these kids the right to vote. So they have no, connect they feel no connection to the institutions they're basically forced to go if you miss class if you decide not to go so many times you get punished so it's like a forcing people to go to these classes that you know it's just it feels um 
systematized in a way that doesn't care about your particular situation, situation. right? Like if you're yeah. a student, like, you know, I experienced this in middle school. It's like, it felt like I was going to these classes because I had to, not because I had an opportunity to develop my mind. And at that age, especially middle school, I yeah. definitely had interests that could have been developed in school that in a better educational system, there would have been incentives for me to explore the things I was interested in that would have sure. made me more interested in everything else because, you know, like a lot of subjects are interrelated, but you're never taught the interrelations. Um, yeah, and you're never really, yeah. you know, unless you're going to like schools that are, you know, have like more deeply thought out educational systems, which like the well, mass like, majority of people like, don't have access to, like you're going to feel a sense that like, uh, you know, on balance, education does not feel liberating. It feels um, like, you know, draconian. It feels pressured on you. It feels that you have to conform sure. to it as opposed to you being able to use resources. And when you start to, you know, and this is probably like, this is where like the Thomas Frank argument comes in where you have these systems where people just feel like they don't belong into them. I mean, you know, like lots of people yeah. feel disenfranchised. Um, by the, their educational system, they get shut out of higher education. You have a lot of people who are, didn't go to college, right? Like, you know, this country's yeah. almost like 50, yeah, 50 divided sure. or whatever so, the numbers are. And then they feel shut out. And then you have people who it looks as if they're just celebrating their, um, you know, higher education. Like it's sort of like a wink, For wink, sure. nod, nod. But really what it is like, that's where the best ideas are developed that are unemotional. Like when you go through these higher educational systems, like, the bias and like your emotionality is like beat the shit out of you. It's like, you have to find the facts. It has to be true when it looks like you're doing bias. I'm going to, um, you know, call you out on it. And if you're writing poorly, if you're not going, you know, if you're not writing in a way or thinking in a way or producing things in a way that seem to be contributing to knowledge or at least accessing it, well then you get, you know, like the more that you go through higher education, the more that those standards become, uh, very real and very important and um, that's sure. great because it creates you know it creates the best ideas that we can have to make society better but if you know people get shut out from that and they don't understand that no one's communicating enough to them and no one's dignifying the decisions they like made in their life marginalizing factor right and like, so that you know, creates a political problem yeah. but uh i think that was awesome okay cool well i want to um also we're going to just, I think we should just try and keep pumping out some episodes because I really, um, the next episode, I really want you to take me through what would it look like for Roe v. Wade to be. Oh, yeah. We should um, definitely, uh, we should definitely do that. Yeah, we should do that. There's a lot of things. We still didn't even talk about like Gamble versus United States. There's a lot of like legal political. Well, we got, we just got like really carried away on political issues. (sighs) But I feel better. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, we got it. uh, We got something out. Cool. All right. Well, um, Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening uh, and expect some more content and more reliable content now that I'm back yeah, home for a while. So. That's the idea. We'll just yeah, crank them sure. out. All right. Thanks, guys. For sure. All right. Thanks. Bye.